0: You know, there's just something precious about the gospel when we sing it, and it's set to music. You know, it's just something, something so special. It's, it's also just as special when you're reading the gospel for yourself and you're going through the scriptures and you're just seeing the love of God pouring out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Or there are times we're just praying. We're praying the gospel message of what Christ has done, and that also touches our heart. But when we're preaching, you know, all these dynamics just have a way of elevating this more create a composite sketch of just how awesome God is in Christ. You know, and, and Marty, thanks oh, like always. God bless you, brother. Yes. I'm, I'm never not blessed. Never not blessed. And I mean that. Uh, James chapter 1, the complete Christian. I will ask you a question. Be careful how you answer. Are you a complete Christian? Do you want to be a complete Christian? Does God, the answer sister, I think that's most honest. God wants us to be a complete Christian. The truth of the matter is, the Spirit in us desires to be a complete Christian. Yes, we want that. There's that's, that's a true, genuine cry of the Holy Spirit to fill in that which is still lacking in our life. You know, I want to look at that, and I'm going to be speaking out of James chapter 1, probably for at least two or three weeks, uh, just on being tempted. We all know the scripture when we get into it, It's a familiar text, but I've decided to spend some length of time Understanding what James is saying. So with that said, we do turn to James chapter one. I'm in Ephesians. That's good chapter two. Let me get to James. Alright, here we go. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all, joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God that just brings such clarity into our life, Father God. That the upheavals of our life, the tribulations of our life, the anxieties of the life, the hardships of our life, the uncertainty at times of the future, God, are there for a reason. This is your classroom, God. And testing and trials are your examinations. So, Father God, as we all have to live under this text, as we all have to live under this reality, that we all have to learn, learn, learn to consider it pure joy when we go through various trials of, of time in our life, Father God, that we consider it joy because you're doing something in us that without it, we'd lack completion. Open up our eyes to what you're doing specifically in our lives, Father God, in this area of testing, and accomplishing a complete Christian man and a complete Christian woman. In Jesus' name, amen. A familiar verse of Scripture, we all know it. We all like to talk about considering a pure joy, then we say, well, what's so joyful about it? The truth of the matter is not much when you're going through it, but it does point to something. And if you're around Christianity long enough, there are things I consider pure joy now that I had to learn the hard way. There's just no question about it. It's pure joy now, but it was not pure joy then. And I I, I draw on that strength when I'm going through new things to say, okay, it doesn't feel like joy, but God's going to do something with it. And God sees that I'm lacking something in my life that he needs to strengthen. I remember 1985 when I was studying karate, I remember uh, there was several months of intense, intense training and I felt like my teacher was aloof. He, he, I didn't realize he was watching me from a distance. And he started to put his finger on me and, and push me, and I didn't realize it. And then after one class one night, it was a grueling workout. He, he spoke a few words to me, Japanese fellow, didn't speak much English. What he did was in broken Japanese, broken English. Him. And he said, Brian, to be a complete fighter, you have to learn to fight all different types at all different times, no matter how you feel. That's all he said. And he left. (laughs) It's, It's the Japanese. You have to know the culture. You have to know the culture. But he left enough seed thought to realize what was going on. And one of the things he said about that time is that you have to fight tall people, small people, fast people, strong people, weak people, three people, one person. You have to fight everybody. You have to fight when you're hurt and when you feel good. You have to fight when you're tired and when you're not tired. You have to In every and all situations, that's when you learn how to fight. Because he wanted me to be a complete fighter. See, now I understand. And it was, it was hard because he saw certain potentials in me that without hard training, the potential would just be that. It would be potential. but have no fruit in my life. But he also saw blind spots that you have to recognize weaknesses in you so that you can strengthen them. That's what we have in our text tonight. You see, God wants us to be the Christians who are ready for whatever life the flesh or Satan has to throw at us. Amen? And in that case, we all need to be what? Complete? Of course, we know it's hard just life in a moral wilderness with moral uh, landmines everywhere. You can walk out of the house a happy husband one day and come home that night a ruined man. Are you with me? That's the world. David woke up one day and ruined his life. It happens. I'm only using one example. We have to be strong and faithful to God in the world that's anti-God. It's anti-Word of God. It's anti-Christian. wants nothing to do with truth. It doesn't like who we believe in. It doesn't like how we live. wants nothing to do with it. We have a Satan that hates God and hates us. He roams around like what? Looking for what? Someone to devour. We need to be on our God at all times. But remember something. No one's born into this complete Christian attitude when you're first saved. For God, saving... I'm not going to say it's an easy work. It was hard for Christ, not for you and me. He had to pay the ultimate price for it, of course. But when he saves, it's not hard. He draws us. He opens up our eyes. We see our need of repentance and faith. We come to Christ and we're saved. We didn't do anything. It's free. It's full and free. But character, that's different. The character that God seeks to develop in us is painful. But oh, so necessary. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to it that we want this. God wants us to be secure on the inside. God wants us to be cool, calm, and collective on how we deal with life and its temptations and everything that life has to throw at. And I'll go through this as we go into, into our teaching tonight. But like... I learned so many years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 60 years old, but when I was training in my mid-20s and early 20s and late 20s, I trained so hard for such a long time that even now, though I haven't done it in so many years, I can still call upon that hard training to defend myself in probably most situations. I hope I never have to, but if I had to, because the training, the trials were so intense... And because something was so deeply developed over so uh, a long, prolonged period of time that I can still call upon these qualities now, these skills, they're certainly like the skills I had when I was 25 and 30 years old. But the point is, as Christians, we need to have that in our life. Of course, this character is nothing less than the character of Jesus Christ. The way Christ lived on earth, the character God wants you and I to have. Is not a mystery. We'll get into the text. It's the character that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had with him in his earthly human body when he lived on this earth. We're not taking on some divine quality here, it's a quality that is obtainable. Please hear that. Uh, He's not going to try to build in you the ability to walk on water. Don't worry he's going to ask you to feed 15,000 people with a couple of fish and a loaf of bread. He's not going to do that either. He's not going to ask you to raise up Lazarus from the dead, though some people believe they can do that. All right, we'll leave them to the Lord. But the point being, he does want us to live under the pressures of life and succeed. Who does not want their child to succeed? I know parents in this room. I know what parents go through so their child has a chance in this world to leave a child in those most precious developing years to themselves without true parental guidance and without pushing them and training the child in the way he should go. They're not going to go that way. And so it is with Christ and us. God has to train us. And I love the word, train. Psalm 18 says that David said that God what? Trained his hands for war. God trains us in this area. I will approach today's message and the text from a words study. To try to capture the meaning of what James is saying here, each word study contributes to the overall understanding of the truth that James is trying to hear. This is not just a pithy saying, consider it all joy when you go to trials of various kinds. You know, we get so cliché-ish about this text that it really loses the emphasis, it loses its power of what James is saying. Trust me, when this church finally read this for the first time 2,000 years ago, they had no idea what they were in for. They had no idea. They know the Old Testament teaches us in Proverbs clearly that God tests the hearts of all men. Rich and poor. It makes no difference. God is the maker of us all. He tests the hearts of men. Saved and guess what? Unsaved. Unsaved. The unsaved will give an account of their life one day. The, The obstacles and the trials and the tribulations and the hardship in this life have spiritual value. And as, uh, as we counsel as pastors and, and someone's going through difficult, difficult times, one of the things we like to say is, that, can you see the spiritual value? That's what I do when I go through a hard time. I can sit there and complain with the best ease. Maybe even better. But I have to train myself to say, what is the spiritual value? What is God trying to teach me? There's some kind of persevering attitude He wants me to have. He, he desires me. He's saying, this is what God's saying when you're going through a hard time. Are you ready? You cannot live without the test I'm putting you through. Are you with me? Can you believe that? Would you rather not have the test? Of course. But we have to see, it's like when you're teaching a child to swim. Some children are so afraid of the water, but you know a child has to learn has to learn to swim has to learn to ride a bike there are certain things children don't want to do it doesn't come natural all the time but it's important for them to learn because a parent would, would be unjust in not training that child in this world to do certain things God is in the business of training us and he uses trials and tribulations and hardships is anybody going through a hardship of any sort yeah. praise God say it with me praise God praise God alright because he's training us for something Life is God's classroom. As I said before, trials and tribulations and hardships and obstacles are God's exams. Let's do the best we can. One of the great truths of the Christian faith and the New Testament teaches that this character development understands something. Old Testament believers understood that God was developing a nation, the nation of Israel, to be different from all the other nations represented on this earth. But in the New Testament, all that work God to, to a nation, he does to us what? Individually now. Because now we are the salt of the earth and we do represent Christ. And, you know, so God's doing that. Not to, he wants a church to be solid, but he wants the individual Christians to be rock solid in their faith. Shaping and molding us into the image of Christ. And that's what leads me into tonight's first study. And it will just be on this, it will be on the word complete. I will just speak on this because you would think, where do we start? Consider it pure joy, we can start with that. We can start with the the trials and tribulations. We all like to talk about our problems, and we can get into that. That would be a good teaching. Or we could speak about, you know, the various trials that we go through. We can speak about the perseverance it gives us. But, But the object here is that we be complete. So that's where I'm going to start. I want to start with the finished product. And then as the weeks go on, I go into to some other word studies. But we need to know the complete, uh, 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 you know, what God is trying to complete in us. We want to see that picture. I remember that season in my life when I was training hard. I had no idea what I was getting into. My teacher gave me some teaching tapes to lit- to watch of other fighters and uh, who fought in Japan and around the world. And I don't know why he gave them to me, but now I know why, because... I ended up getting an eye and to see what a complete martial artist looks like. And I remember seeing these guys and going, oh man, that is just amazing what these fighters can do. You see, I saw a picture of what I could be. I saw a picture of what my my teacher saw me I could be. I saw the complete picture. I was far from it. Are you with me? That's what God does to us spiritual. When we see a complete picture of Jesus Christ, we long for that. I was... An aspiring fighter. I wanted to fight. I wanted to compete. But when I saw the stage I was moving towards the fighter, I was like, I'm not ready for that. But I longed for it. As a Christian, I want to be like Christ. If you don't want to be like Christ, you are not a Christian. I'll tell you that right now. Easy. I got no problem saying that. If you don't have a desire to be more like the Savior, then something's missing. But as Christians, we do have that. We see the complete picture. I want to be steadfast like Christ was. Sure, I can go into David's life and I can see certain attributes of David, but after a while, I'm not going to see his attributes. Guess what else I'm going to see? His failures. I'm going to see Moses' attributes. I'm going to see his failures. See, we can look at each other and we can admire other believers, even from the scriptures, but ultimately Christ is our example. It's very important to remember. There are four different dynamics that I see in this scripture. To complete means to be, it means to lack nothing or to be mature. That's really what the word means. It means to be mature. Now I answer this question, when it comes to being mature, what do you think the text is talking about? What do you think the Bible talks about is it just a moral thing? Is it just about stop drinking, stop smoking, stop cussing, stop womanizing, stop doing this? Is, is that the only thing that the Bible's talking about? Is this just a religion of moralizing and just be better? I don't need Christianity to, just to be better. This is just self-help out there. There's, there's 12-step programs out there. There are other philosophies out there. I can become a Buddhist. They're always nice people. You know, so there's always things I can do to be better. But is that what the Bible's talking about, being like Christ? No, it's not. Morality is part of it, but it's just a small part of it. And I don't want to get caught up in just that, that we will speak about that tonight. Four different dynamics. We will speak at the moral one, the doctrinal theological one. We will look at uh, maturity in ministry, and we will look at maturity during persecution. The Bible speaks about this as a complete man. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 as we paint a composite sketch on what it means to be complete. Christian, I'm sure there's more other teachers and preachers could add to this. Uh, This is where I'm at right now, and so uh, if there's more things to add, praise God, this is what I see. I see four different dynamics that the New Testament teaches us. Starting in Ephesians chapter 4. I think that's verse 24. It is. Paul says this, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness, to put on this new self. Romans thirteen fourteen says this. Can we get that up there? Romans thirteen fourteen. I want you to see this. Are we getting close? Are we not even close? Joe says one second. Okay, was that a relayed message? I see four people looking at one screen back there. Praise God. Okay, we're getting close. Okay, I'm gonna read. Paul says this put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See, when it comes to being complete, this is the moral aspect, this is the moral dynamic. To make no provision for the flesh. You can rest assured that God wants us to be morally upright, morally sure, morally strong. And a, and a society that has gone morally wrong. Moral landmines are everywhere. So one of the first things God wants us to do when he's working on things, there are trials and tribulations in our life that speak to the moral issue. To be complete in that area. There's other ones we're going to talk about now. That is usually the first thing that God wants to do with us because it's the scandalous nature in our hearts, that ability to roam and wander away from the Lord as a sheep wander away and to get into themselves into all sorts of trouble. That is where God desires us to be so strong morally so we do not drift away from the Lord and suffer under the consequences of these things. So God is always strengthening us. And as many trials and tribulations hardships we go through that open up our eyes to the need that we need to be morally right in the eyes of God and he's allowing things to happen and manifest in our life beyond our comprehension so he grabs our attention that he owns us and we cry out to him to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we live as complete Christians and we make no provision for the flesh though no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what sin throws at us temptation throws at us, Satan throws at us, we stand morally strong That's what God wants for us. That's a painful operation. When we come out of the world with anything but that. You know, I don't know your background, but for me, I grew up in Corinth. You know, I grew up on the other side. It wasn't pretty. You know, there's not much I haven't engaged in. And when God saved me, he had to clean me up from the inside out. Before he can teach me who he was theologically and other things, I had to have self-control. That is so I mean, that's an obvious right. Everybody knows that. Every, every Christian wants to be morally upright and be morally strong and morally sound and steadfast and immovable in these areas. So we have to look when God is still calling us. So I want you to know something about this. This is a learning curve. Everything we're going to talk about is a learning curve. No one masters it at one time. As a matter of fact, nobody masters it at all. We need to be constantly, as Paul says, don't think anybody stands lest you fall because, you know, there's no temptation that has overtaken us that's not common to man. We've got to be careful at all times. I thought, I remember crying out when I first got saved, I was 30 years old. Oh, the lust, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the... It's killing me, God. And 30 years later, I'm like, I'm stronger, but it's still the same cry. the same intensity. I want to be holy because he is holy. And the more I'm saved, the more I understand who I am. And it's not good. I need Christ more today than I did yesterday. I need him more today than I did when I first got saved. I'll need him more in the years to come than I need him right now. I have totally given myself up to the, to the reality that without Christ, I can do no good thing. He said that, not me. So the longer I'm saved, the more I realize how much I need God in my life. Even though as much as he's changed me morally from the inside out, he's given me wholeness and uprightness and and a certain joy and pleasure in in the simple things of life with God. we still got to be on our God, Amen? So throughout our Christian life, we're going to go through these moral things. I remember when, I'm going to draw a lot from my karate days, uh, for, as a teacher, I remember I had this one student, well before that, and you know, I remember I was going through a time, I was like, wow, you know, I'm going through these old temptations, and you know, I hated it, these are things I went through and I confessed, and me and my wife prayed over, and I'm like, I don't want to go through this again, and I'm like, for weeks I'm tormented, and, I don't, and I'm not engaging in anything, it's just a thought, it's there, I hate it. And uh, at the same time, I got a karate student who was my best student, and uh, he was there early every day. Uh, He left late. He loved to train. He loved to fight. He loved to pick my brain. He loved to watch the tapes. We had a great time together. And then after about five years, I realized that he started coming late and leaving early, coming late, rushing out. And I said, oh, I said, Andrew, you stay tonight and I would set him up and every night I, I had him fight the whole class that's how we do, we beat on each other and I, we beat him up a little bit and, and after about two or three weeks this, he said, sensei, thank you I needed that, I was getting soft and the light went off and that's why God was giving me a heart I was getting soft in my moral life my eyes were drifting, this was like I said, no God gave me a lesson right before my eyes I was getting soft can't get soft God will watch over us so that we don't get soft in these areas he'll keep the pressure on us so we don't get soft, the last thing you want to do as a Christian is get soft, see David got soft, it says in the spring when the kings went out to war, when the kings went out to war, David stayed behind David wasn't supposed to be behind, guess where he was supposed to be this is where his troops so we can get soft a little less church, a little less Bible study, a little less prayer, a little more of this, a little more of the world, a little more vacation, a little more complacency. And what does the scripture say? What does Proverbs say? Then your disaster will come upon you like a flood, a little folding of the hands, a little sleep, a little slumber. We can't do it. Here's how we stay out of it. There's only one way. Belong to a church. That you get to hear this message throughout the year. Belong to a small group where you're studying the word of God. Belong to a fellowship where people know you. Yes. Don't be an alien where you're out there by yourself to be picked off by the roaming line. Yep. Looking for someone to devour. More can be said, but here's the thing, we go through trials and tribulations and things in our life because God wants to not just strengthen us morally, but keep us strong morally. And everybody in this room, I'm going to tell you right now, God is continually going to put his thumb on your life morally when you least expect it because all of us, like sheep, will go astray, our hearts are prone to wander, and trust me, we will become weak. Unless God puts his finger on us. So consider it pure joy. I thank God for making me downright uncomfortable. Because he wants me to be morally strong. We cannot lose the moral high ground. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll speak about the second thing. The first one was moral completeness or moral maturity. Remember, we don't master it. It's something we've got to stay on top of all the time. I will read a verse of scripture in chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Bless you. Verses 14 and 15. Is that up there? Do we have that one? Great. Okay. This is doctrinal maturity. I don't want you to miss this. I'll explain it. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Into what? Into Christ. This has nothing to do with morality. That was verses 24, 22, 23, 24. Here is talking about understanding truth. Guess what? God is about the truth. Truth is a.k.a. doctrine, all right? It's a proper understanding of who God is and his relationship with human beings. This is not, well, that's for the intellectuals, for the pastors, for the theologian. No, doctrinal correctness is for every believer. And Paul calls us to be grown up, to be mature into the state of the head, Jesus Christ. We ought to be doctrinal mature. Jesus Christ was not a man that was tossed to and fro by Satan. He wasn't tossed to and fro by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious leaders. Jesus Christ had his eyes dotted, he had his T's crossed, he knew who his God was, he knew his Old Testament, he knew the prophets, and when people contradicted the truth, he was able to correct them. And so should we. We are called to understand what we believe. I remember this book by, uh, I think it was Paul Little, many years ago I got it, Know What You Believe. As Christians, this is the heavy lifting. You what we have today in America, we have a lot of lazy-minded Christians. The mind is wayward. Christians will do anything but to sit down and give some great quality, prolonged period of time to study in God's Word. They won't do it. They won't get into a small group. They're beyond that. They won't come to a Bible study before church because now church is three hours long, and, you know, I don't got time for Jesus. Or I can't do this because, you know, I got to work, and I got to do it, and I got to play, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. And it's like... Listen, life is busy, But please, want, let, let, me, let me embarrass us all, okay? I think I shared this not too long ago. John Davis was in Africa and he's preaching in Africa and a guy comes in in the morning. He walked 30 miles to the meeting. 30 miles. One way. Guess what he did when the meeting was over? Guess what he did the next day? To hear the word of God. They're so starving for, 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 healthy doctrine, right truth. There, he walked. He heard that preachers were coming from America to, to teach sound doctrine. He walked 30 miles. They don't even wear shoes. I love that we support that ministry. Yes, yes. But it is so important for a Christian to understand. I pour my heart out. We pour our heart to teach Christians, and I get a phone call one day. Somebody, I sat down, I taught, I taught, I taught, but he couldn't make this Bible study. Couldn't make make this. He's like, yeah, I I sold a thousand dollars. I got him about two dollars, but he gave a thousand dollars to somebody on TV. I'm like, do you think I made the right choice, Pastor? Silence. I'm like, let me know what happens. Let me know. You tell me if you made the right choice. Because we're not to be like children tossed to and fro by every window way of a doctor, the cunning and craftiness of men. Yeah. You see, here's another thing. The Bible just doesn't teach us that we walk in a moral wilderness, in a moral minefield. Moral minefield. We walk in a, a minefield of error. Satan lives in error and half-truths, and he expounds his error and half-truths within the context of Christianity. He loves to play games with people. Satan loves it. Give me an audience, and I'll give you all the half-truths you want, Satan says. I'll give you all the precious truth mixed in with a little error. Praise the Lord. So when the crunch time comes and you're watching TV and you're going through a burning hard time in your life and you don't realize that hard times are there to build you up, you give a $1,000 because you want the hard time to go away. And we can go much further than that. That will lead into my next one. But the, the point being as a pastor, John, as a pastor, we're educators. It is so much in our heart that Christians know what they believe. We spend a lot of time in this church. We're gifted with teaching in this church. The women's teaching, the men's teaching. Thursday night we teach, <coughs> Sunday, before Sunday school, we teach. As a pastor, I cannot make anybody hunger for the truth. But I am responsible before God, but give an ample opportunity to learn the truth, and that's what we do well. We're here to teach. And I remember teaching when I, when I was karate, my teacher said, I need three to five years with somebody to teach them self defense. And then when I became a teacher, I, I borrowed that phrase, and I realized it takes three to five years. If somebody's willing, if someone's willing, they can have two left feet and two left hands. If they've got a heart that's willing to learn, you give me three to five years, and I'll teach you how to defend yourself and teach you how to defend your family. You see, all God needs is three to five years, and a Christian, I'm just using this now as a little anecdotal, but God doesn't need much time, but after five years of sitting under the word of God. After five years, remember when we spoke about Paul in chapter 11 of Ephesians? That for a whole year, Paul and Barnabas taught the saints for one year, day in and day out. They taught the saints. And as soon as they heard of a need, they were able to give without anybody provoking them or anybody threatening them because they were built up in Christ. There is nothing like being built up in Christ. To really know Christ... We're responsible for that. So there's maturity here, as Paul is teaching us over here, to grow up in every way into him who's the head. That's Christ, who was not carried about by every wind and wave of doctrine, who was never taken by human cunning, was never taken away by craftiness or deceitful schemes. As a matter of fact, Satan went toe-to-toe with the Son of God. Satan has never, ever lost one match in his entire life. He took down Adam with one lie, and he went toe-to-toe with the Son of God, and Jesus took him out with four verses of Scripture. Do you know what happens when the word of God lives in you? Do you know what happens when the word of God is in you? And you know the truth. You're a formidable foe. Doctrinal maturity. The first and foremost of all things is that you are saved by grace. Don't let all the craftiness and human cunningness and skiful scenes ever think you can please God outside of faith in Jesus Christ. Ever. But I'll be honest with you, there's some heavy lifting here. There is. You gotta learn. You've got to roll up your sleeves, you gotta come with the Bible. You've got to get a cup of coffee, you gotta sit down and say this half hour is for the Lord. And you men, you know, we we're starting on September 18th. We're starting on uh, nine weeks on, on the book of James. Be there. Come out. Have your Bible. Get excited. Of course we're tired. But come and say, no, these nine weeks are for the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour myself into the book of James. It's, it's the only book that teaches me about Christ. It's the only book that teaches me about salvation. It's the only book that God has given me to learn. It's the only way I can grow strong and be complete is by this one book. No other book exists. If that's the way you approach Scripture. When I would study scripture, I would study a book, I would put everything outside and say, I need to find out everything I can about Jesus Christ from this one book. And drain it. Right. And for nine weeks we should drain five small chapters and we should drain it and drain it until the truth is in us. That's how you approach. Paul talks about this when he talks about training. He goes, I'm not a man that goes about boxing in the air or, or running a race like no one's going to win. And when I run, I run, so i going to win. And when I box, I box like someone's going to win and defend themselves. When I would train a crowd, I didn't have dreams and aspirations of traveling around the world and fighting while I did choreography uh, dancing in the mirror. I thought you train, you get your body hard. That's what it takes. Third thing. Maturity in ministry. Listen. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, listen, you who are spiritual or mature, should restore him the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Lest you be tempted too. You see... Not everyone is qualified to the restoration of a saint, courtesy. We know that Paul teaches us that all Christians should encourage each other and speak the truth in love as the body builds itself up. We you know that. But Paul here says, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are qualified by the gift of the Holy Spirit, walking in maturity, who understands grace, who is not affected by the law, who understands love, who understands how to build somebody up, who obje- objectively can look at someone who got caught in a transgression and still love them and not get caught up in the same thing and keep watch over yourself, where you have an objective understanding and a love for that person, where they never feel condemned, they never feel feel ridiculed, they never feel less than, they never lose the sanctity and dignity of their, their human body, they're still loved by God, they're still loved by you, that you can look past the sin, you can love that person, and restore them. that health. Not everybody can do that. Some people, if you were telling about something, they'd be like, oh! Like the last thing, you never... There's no reaction when someone shares their heart to you. Reaction is terrible. you got to be saved. And listen, you ministry Any anyway length of time, you hear some horrible, horrendous things. You know, and it can't be like, oh my God, you're never going to hear that. And especially when it's told you, you never share it. Maturity in this area is such a needed, how can I say, component to the Christian church. When people surround me and John that are mature this way, it, it, the, the health and life of the church is a beautiful thing. When someone says, yeah, so-and-so has been talking to me, I'm like, praise God. Then I'll hear, well, so-and-so talking I'm like, oh, that's not praise God. Because so-and-so is not qualified to speak to you on this broken part of your life. They're not qualified for that. You don't go to every Tom, Dick, and Harry looking for information. you got to be steadfast to say, no. If someone is spiritual, if someone is mature, if someone knows the Lord, if someone will hold my sin against me, if somebody will be tempered in themselves and have self-control in the Lord, they can speak to me the word of life. Don't want you to miss that. That's not judgment. That's sound advice. You don't talk to everybody about your marriage. You don't talk to everybody about what's taking place in your heart. You just don't do that. Someone's got to be qualified. You have to know people in your life that say, know something? I got to say this in the past. There was a time, a friend of mine, who, he really wasn't... The most sound, complete Christian I ever knew. But he led someone to the Lord. We were both witnessing somebody. Eventually this guy came to know the Lord. And and this the most honest thing this guy could say was like, you know, i got to leave you alone now. Go go speak to Brian now. Because the guy wasn't living right And for him to keep going on, he would have overstepped his boundaries. Because he wasn't mature enough. He wasn't in a state to help that person. So, spiritual maturity, so when we go through trials and tribulations, it's sort of like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He says, you know, God comforts us in all our afflictions so that in return we can comfort those going go through any affliction. There's a, there's a qualification that takes place when you've been trained by God and you go through hardships in your life, you're qualified. To speak to people in these areas of their life. It's a beautiful thing. So when you're going through hard times in your life today, understand something. God will use that. He doesn't want to have to use it. But if you go, he will train you through that to be a more mature man and woman of God so that you can speak health into the life. You will qualify in these areas. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody should. All of us here should realize you know something This is outside my jurisdiction. Why don't you speak to the pastor on this one? Does that make sense? We should all know our limitations. Last one. And I just wanted to add this. There has to be compassion with firmness. This is why. When it comes to restoring somebody, restoration has to be so void of anything that sounds like the law. It can't sound like the Lord it has to be filled with grace and mercy, the grace of compassion with firmness. And this is how it goes. Paul teaches us in Titus, he says, the grace of God has been revealed, leading us to salvation, teaching us to renounce godliness and worldliness. You see, grace just doesn't come to forgive. It comes to teach us to renounce worldliness and ungodliness. So when someone's restoring, it's not just about saying, well, God loves you. We have to make sure that they really understand that conscience of someone caught in a transgression fully understands that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away every transgression. They have to know it. They have to see Christ. Only Christ and his mercy on the cross could ever restore that person. Because the conscience without Christ is a terrible thing. We'll self-loathe ourselves, but when we get out of ourselves, when we look to the mercy of Christ, and we sing about the mercy of Christ, and we feel the washing waves of grace upon grace upon grace, but at the same time, that person also needs to know, how did you get into this situation? What's the root. Here's the fruit. That takes maturity. Are you with me? Last thing. standing firm under persecution. Listen to First Peter, chapter 1, 6 and 7, then chapter 4, verse 12. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory, the honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to chapter 4. The whole book of 1 Peter is basically about suffering for your faith. Listen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. You know? uh, Again, I would pull up a karate student. That same gentleman who was doing so well, he, he was winning tournaments, he went up to Canada in 41, he went down to Florida, he traveled around, he was doing well, he was doing well, he was doing well. And then I took him and I entered him into this big tournament, and fighters were coming from all around the world, and he won his first three fights, and now he had to fight the big Russian champion. The guy was tough. And I remember he turned to me, and he had to go out like just a minute. And he said, sensei, I can't do it. And he's here, Fear. It was a uh, I did the best thing I could I turned around and I smacked him as hard as I could I said you get out there you train hard, you're ready to go and he fought the guy toe to toe he ended up losing the draw but here's the point he got right there and fear entered in and fear was going to stop all his progress in his karate career. And that's what happens to us when it comes to the fear of persecution. What are people going to say about my faith? What are people going to think? Well, what about my child? What about my husband? What about this? What about that? And we get into this. What about this? What about this? I'm going to lose my job. If anybody knows I'm a Christian. And we get into this fear mentality about our faith. And we're not to do that. We have to stand firm to the point that if I perish. Who said that? for such a time as this understand something we'll see this because I'm 57 by the time I go home to be with the Lord he tarries for a while but some of the younger people you're going to see that Christianity in America is under attack right now it's under attack intellectually philosophically politically but please understand something it's going to get worse and we're going to see this are we ready to stand up and say you've got to be crazy a man is a man and a woman is a woman it's as simple as that. What am I going to tell you? They're confused, not me. Is there something wrong with that? The culture's confused. You're not confused. There's a time to stand up in a loving way, but sometimes you've got to stand up and say, no, you got it wrong. God has it right. And to stand up and take whatever the world has to tell you because that's your moment to shine, it could be in the gym, it could be at work, and you just say, You know something? I disagree with that. God has a better way. And you stand under the fires of persecution. If you perish, you perish. But that's what we're called to do. And I ask you this when it comes to standing under persecution. How many times do you duck and weave to stay out of a conversation that's going to make you look different? Be honest. How many times in conversation than the job, you hear this? You, oh, you know, I'm so, yeah, I am a conservative. Yeah, I am a Christian. You know, I don't want nobody to know. No, you stand up. Use that as a time to let your faith shine and so say, you want to know something? I used to think like that. But you know something? Christ taught me how to think. And now I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so are you. You just don't know it. Are you with me? why are we the ones being shy? Don't be shy. Stand up, speak for your faith, go on the fire, be persecuted, love them, but don't ever back down from the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you want us to be complete in all ways, Father God, not just morally, not just doctrinally, not just prepared to restore someone who's got caught in sin, Father God, but you want us to be complete when it comes to sharing our faith in a world that wants nothing to do with true biblical Christianity. Oh, Lord, thank you for the trials. Thank you for the tribulations we go through of various kinds that somehow produces this complete man and woman. I thank you, God, that when we look into the scriptures, the complete man and woman is Jesus Christ. He has never failed in everything. Even to the moment of giving his life, though he could have called down 12 legions of angels, he chose to do your will. I pray we too, Father God, can do all things through Christ God. Help us morally. Help us to understand our Bibles. Help us to share our faith. And help us to be able to restore others' caught in sin. In Jesus' name.